coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right. Once again, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. The magic of the internet serves me well on this show because once again, on the other end of the line, I've got somebody else cool to talk about some serious stuff here, serious and fun stuff. Uh, So tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? (laughs) I'm Brian (laughs) Germain. And, uh, well, among other things, I jump out of airplanes. Brian Germain. I mean, that's a, that's a voice and a name that's been around skydiving for a few years now. One or two. 34. 34 years of jumping, huh? 34, yep, exactly. Wow. Uh, April 13th is, uh, is my anniversary coming up. How did, uh, yeah. how did it get started? Well, I mean, I was just, I was a young college student. You know, it was one of those deals where freshman year of college, I'm, I'm away from home in, in, at uh, University of Vermont, and uh, a whole bunch of us were totally stoked when our uh, resident advisor, you know, our, our floor advisor sure. said, hey, you know, we're going to go do a group activity. I was thinking jumping out of planes. We're like, yeah, baby, <laughs> let's do that. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how I got my, my start. Uh, nice. Dick Swanson. Uh, I don't know if you know Mike Swanson. A lot oh, of yeah. people know Mikey uh, Schmeekel, as we called him when he was little. Um, Schmeek's dad came to uh, to my dorm at, U- at UVM and uh, taught the first jump course right there in the dorm. Really? Yeah. Memorable. It was awesome. That's a pretty damn cool way to get a first jump course. Yeah. Now, yeah, I know. And years the years later, I got to teach Mikey's course. Right now, what were you uh, what were you in college studying? Um, <clears throat> everything. <laughs> I was one of those. That, I went through like se- literally seven majors because, <clears throat> excuse me, I was interested in everything, you know? I mean, I, I started off as pre-med cause you know, that's what good little boys from New Jersey do. And, <laughs> and then very quickly I realized that, uh, it's not a very good fit for me. So I started studying aerospace. I, I switched over to air force ROTC and I was going to be a pilot for the air force, uh, wow. for quite a while that was my thing and jumping out of planes was just a logical add-on you know sure. to to my list of accolades the the resumes everything if you want to uh you know get get the job that you want you need oh, to look yeah. good well anything so you I, can tack yeah. on to aviation especially if it's something along those lines it definitely shows a little dedication to flying if you're willing to jump yeah out. Totally, totally. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, uh, one of the things I did get to do along, along those lines is, uh, as an Air Force, uh, as an Air Force ROTC cadet, I got to go to the Academy for a training. Uh, it was, it was a week long, uh, training at the, uh, the, the wings of blue. I don't know if you've ever been out there. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. they've got two twin otters. They, they've got an incredible facility and here I am an 18 or 19 year old kid. Um, you know, flying out from Vermont, you know, big eyes like, wow, man, sure. this is, it's heaven jumping from, from, uh, well, I believe it was 12, five, right. For Colorado. That's pretty sure. high up. Yeah. And, uh, they were charging us, I think it was $3 a jump. They had to, <laughs> they had to charge us something, right. So it was three bucks. Wow. And it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that's, that's, part out there. Well, that's so- part of it. You're, you're in college, you're going to do the uh, aerospace thing, and you're thinking military and all this stuff, but at what point does it click, wow, there's a lot more to this sky jumping shit than I kind of expected? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it was it was progressive, you know. I think with with most of it, it, it comes on like a slow freight train, <laughs> where you realize that your life can't go back to the way it was. That, sure. that you are uh, you're a skydiver. Genie's out of the bottle, and now it's a matter of uh, just you, know, you you make choices to increase the number of jumps that you make per week. Sure, sure. <laughs> so so I got a job rolling burritos in a truck. <laughs> Uh, right outside of UVM and, uh, you know, making my money. All the skydivers worked at the burrito truck. Monty's Burritos, it was <laughs> called. Mont- Montezuma's Revenge, right? Nice. Monty's. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was just, I, I realized at that point that, that jumping out of airplanes was going to be more fun than flying a fighter or whatever I ended up um, doing. And I switched into psychology because... Um, I found that the experience of doing adventure, not just skydiving, but but all the other adventure addictions that, mm. that I developed, were really good for me. Mm. They they were more healthy than than uh, you know sitting down with a shrink and talking about my parents and you know grudges that I have or whatever. Sure, that sure. stuff that was just uh, it wasn't as as moving. And and when I jump out of a plane, I still find this is true. Um, my troubles go away. I enter the present moment that uh, that Eckhart Tolle speaks of. You know, it was a transcendent, forced enlightenment experience. And so I, I switched to psychology to uh, to dig deeper into why this was so positive for me. Why this was it was so joyful, even though there was all this fear uh, as an aspect of sure. it. There was also joy and euphoria as an aspect, and it was transforming my self identity. Sure. Well, and it became so, a major theme of your entire career, though, mixing uh, psychology and, and skydiving or any extreme sport. It is. It still it still is. And, and uh, I urge people that are dealing with uh, depression and, and post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that to, to do more adventure and particularly outdoor mm. activities um, instead of more medications. Sure, uh, sure. Now, before we do... Before we yeah, get too ahead. deep into the skydiving yeah. side of things, uh, you've mentioned other extreme sports um, or other, shall we say, adventurous activities. Uh, where do those mm-hmm. directions take you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If extreme sports is kind of a you know, it's a label that yeah. implies implies a death wish, and I don't have one of those. Right. Um, the, uh, I mean, I've got many of them, right? So as a skier, uh, a ski racer, that's always been core mm. for who I am. I mean, I've, I've been skiing since I was three. I started racing by the time I was, I think it was nine or something. Made the switch from hockey at that point. I was like, <laughs> gave, gave up hockey and just got deep into into skiing. And I still absolutely love it, even when I can't afford it. Mm. I'll strap on my skis or my snowboard uh, in you know, like local parks. <laughs> you know, when it snows, I'll be out there sometimes two and three in the morning with a headlamp. Wow! Just just you know, uh, cutting a line through uh, through the forest. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just very good for me. Mm. Uh, something about the flow state of, uh, of skiing. I feel it in roll, rollerblading, that sort of thing too. Sure. Um, and, and so that's, that's part of it. I also teach climbing and I have been for a long time. Um, I mean, it's, you know, literally longer than skydiving. Mm. I've been t- teaching climbing. And so, yeah, we run a program at the Y. They have a, a big, uh, climbing wall that wasn't being used. And I, I just, uh, I swung by and I was like, gosh, you know, they don't have any instructors. Maybe, um, maybe we should just get this program started up again. Oh, nice. It kind of went, went fallow. So my wife and, uh, and our good friend Corinne, uh, started 
teaching this Friday night thing and families started showing up. And then we got all these people that, you know, like uh, cool finds cool. You know, the idea that sure. if, if, if you're doing something awesome, um, it attracts people that are like you, that it attracts people that you will like. Oh, yeah. And and so we've created this community. And, and I mean, we've got you know people that have done all kinds of serious mountaineering that come with their kids. We've got special needs families that come with their, you know, like their Down syndrome daughter, and it, it, they they all love it. Little kids, you know, I mean, I'm getting three year olds up on the rope, and you know, we get them, <laughs> if, you know, just a, a few feet up, maybe five feet or something, and I'll just leave them there and have them bounce around. We'll, we'll play dodgeball. We'll throw the ball at them. They kind of bounce around, and get used to, oh, that's you awesome. know, trust trusting the rope, and before you know it, the kid is going to be doing. You know, so laying down some serious trad routes by the time they're 12 or 13. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, it's funny because I find that I, I see the opportunities that little kids have in things that I find thoroughly entertaining now. And, uh, of course, I'm getting to the age where the climbing and stuff is a little bit harder and things hurt a little bit more. And I watch these little kids going, why in the <laughs> hell didn't I have this shit when I was a kid? Yeah. Because it's yeah. so awesome to watch it happen. It- it is, and it transforms their life experience, doesn't it? You know, to get them young before they develop the fear, or I should say, internalize the fear that was taught to them sure. by the grown-up. Oh yeah, right. Um, I mean, I think we have our our initial basic aversions that we're born with. You know, don't don't jump into the fire and don't touch the arachnid or, or the snake. Um, and those are pattern recognition programs that keep our species alive but um but the actual fear the 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 whole drama the story about it um and the generalized um uh sort of aversions that that expand beyond just that context where you're like i fell once and so now anything that involves heights i'm gonna avoid sure i mean right and what does that cost us so, you know, to me, that's why adventure sports are so good is it allows you to go back, but maybe slight to the right, to the right or the left of, of that experience that you had that was bad. Sure. Or, or maybe you haven't had a bad experience and you just want to keep on expanding your comfort zone, you know, into areas that are, are, are worthwhile risk. Sure. You know, I, uh, I, I think of it as, you know, don't waste your risk on things that are not meaningful to you. Oh yeah, you know, Absolutely. You, and it right? was... Climb a mountain, sure, but don't just run across, you know, traffic to prove a point that you're brave. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you dumb. know, it was funny. I took up climbing uh, through a, a skydiving buddy of mine that I'm sure you probably know, Kevin Love. Um, uh-huh, he, sure, yeah, sure. He, okay. he, took me climbing for the very first time out in Las Vegas. And uh, by then I'd been a skydiver for a couple of years and, and thought I had a handle on the fear thing um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. was in for a rude awakening when it came to climbing. Uh, and to this day, uh, climbing, uh, even though I consider it to be, you know, the type of climbing that I do, which is the clipped in sport route, uh, very, very mm-hmm. safe climbing, scares the yeah. living shit out of me compared to yeah. uh, a skydive. Yeah. Uh, and it's very sure. funny. Um, and it always has been kind of funny. And I kind of bend my head around why I'm roped up. Even when I'm top roping, uh, I am yeah. dramatically more anxious about what's going on than I am when I go to the <laughs> skydive. And it, it always <laughs> confused me and entertained me as well because I enjoyed having something scare the shit out of me. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you think about basic pattern recognition stuff, um, that we're born with, uh, falling for a long period of time. The brain doesn't have a lot of 
um, you know, pre-interpretive uh, thoughts that, you know, uh, where we know what to do if we're falling for more than three seconds. There's mm. there's nothing in our genes that says what to do because every animal that found itself falling for more than two seconds died. Yeah. So that didn't that information didn't stay in the gene pool. Whereas exposure in a high setting where you know you you know could sort of slip and fall and break your leg and lay there for a long time and maybe that information gets stored in the gene pool because mm. you did survive but you got hurt. Um, maybe that's how it works. That's a, sure. it's just a theory of how information and in, in fear gets gets passed down through the generations. But um, I think that uh, it falls into the same category again as as the snakes and spiders and uh, sure, oh absolutely. Know, loud, well, and it's loud, it's, loud, loud noises, right. Troubles. Well, and it's it's funny how you uh, you don't necessarily adapt to it regardless of how long. I mean. Um, I, I mm-hmm. got a lot more comfortable climbing, but there's still a much higher level of fear for me in regard to climbing than there is in skydiving. Not to say that sure. skydiving hasn't scared the shit out of me because it clearly has. <laughs> yeah, once in a while, yeah, right? As it should, you know. Totally mellow, and all of a sudden, oh my God. Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I've had plenty of bolts of fear in regard to skydiving, but climbing has just always been a different beast for me. A uh, case in point was watching uh, the Alex Honnold movie when he climbed El Cap free sure. solo. And it, yeah. it, it was a hilarious <laughs> feeling and acknowledging my own reaction to that movie because I'm on the couch shitting myself and I know yeah. he lives. Yes. I know exactly. he does it. I saw it in the theater with, with my climbing group. Um, and, and yeah, we were just white knuckled watching this. Yeah. Yeah, obviously he's unbelievably skilled, but he's more than that, right? He's yeah. he's cultivated the ability to to uh, kind of let go of all the the what if it doesn't work thoughts sure and and that's a skill uh, a skill that uh, can serve us under certain circumstances and others get us and you know get us killed but yeah. um, but he manages it and and i think we do too maybe to a smaller degree sure but anybody that, that climbs or jumps out of planes or runs rivers and kayaks you're you're pushing back your fear without even noticing it sure. for repeated exposure without death right you you're doing things like catching your breath and instead of freaking out and fixating on what might go wrong you're breathing and relaxing your shoulders and and looking for the answers and right. finding a way to bring sense of humor in right to dissolve the intensity sure you know to giggle about the the ludicrousness of you know oh my god i can't believe i'm about to base jump off this cliff right this is really happening <laughs> You know, this is now, this is not a dream and I better pay attention and do it right. And then we realized that the fear wasn't serving us. It wasn't making us safer. What makes us safer is to relax, sure, to be more aware, to be in our bodies, to soften and becomes more and more sort of supple, adaptable and balanced. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Taking the details. I mean, well, you fly planes, right? And I'm sure that happens all the time where you get your panties in a bunchy and then you calm yourself back down. Oh yeah. You, I mean, you have no choice. And that's one of the things that uh, I have acknowledged from the beginning that uh, I, I owe nothing but thanks to every scary situation I've been in, especially of course in skydiving um, because things are happening so fast. You have mm-hmm. to realize you don't have the luxury of freaking out. 
uh, you yeah. don't have the luxury of allowing <laughs> yourself to let that fear cave into panic. And I, for yeah. me personally, that's how I mentally separate the two. There's panic, which is the fight or flight. I need to run no matter what. And then there's mm-hmm. the fear, which is, okay, I'm going to shit myself about this later, but right now I have to deal with this mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Um, I always say, yeah, you can cry about it in the shower later, but oh, right now you're, yeah. you're in the left seat, baby. This oh, is the yeah. left well, it's it, Kevin Love was actually when de- dealing with uh, you know learning how to, to to handle the extended fear in regard to climbing. Um, you know, you're three or four pitches up a seven pitch climb, and the only way down is up. And you have to realize, just like once you've stepped out of the airplane, you're only going one direction. So you need to cope with what's going on. Yep. Take a deep breath. Yeah. And exactly. Deal with it, you know, and it's uh, Ex- that's acceptance. It, acceptance is the, is the word that's coming in absolutely and it's a that's a that's a skill you know i mean that just takes time and repetition mm-hmm. yeah uh, i also noticed that there's an aspect of uh being afraid that is kind of um these cultural voices in us where there's this shaming mm. that that we do to ourselves sometimes right especially in long duration things in in contexts where there's other people that don't look look as scared as we are right maybe they feel like it but on the outside they look like they're totally cool and um you know why am i the only one that's scared and what's wrong with me um i get a lot of folks that that are having trouble learning uh skydiving mm. that that come to me and i do what i call power sessions uh where i you know do at least an hour sometimes longer uh where we just we just chat about the process that's going to lead them to becoming a, a skydiver even though they have driven to the drop zone and turned around at the entrance and come back home many times, even though they've ridden to altitude and weren't able to get out of the plane. Oh, yeah. Right? Even though they got hurt and now they're like white knuckle just thinking about it. <laughs> um, you know, the the road back is uh, – it's not always that easy. No, it can be a it can be a tough road, and I've said it before on the podcast. I used to have a spot when I was either just in my learning skydiving or uh, recently licensed, uh, and I had a turnaround point on the highway where I could turn around before this point on the highway with no shame, <laughs> go back home, head personally held high. But if I drove past that place, I was going to the drop zone to make to make a skydive, and yeah, there were yeah. more than a few times that I was two seconds from hitting the brakes, you know, to turn around because, you know, and it it was a very, it was a a unique way to, all right, nope, this is the spot you've got. And then uh, years later as, as uh, I had, you know, I'd become a a jump pilot and all this stuff. And I thought I had learned how to to cope with fear and and this and that. And I had a, an engine failure on a multi-engine aircraft. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was shitting myself and that clearly everybody could see. Uh, but anybody that knows jump planes knows that most of them have a mirror so you can see the back. Uh, and mm-hmm. I caught my reflection in the mirror and I remember vividly thinking, you look so calm. And I was shitting yeah. my pants. <laughs> but I looked calm and I'm like, all right, just keep faking it until you're on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's something to that, isn't there? Sure. Right? The fake it till you make it. Um, it's... Uh, it's a lot deeper than people realize oh, that yeah. if you look at, I mean, the fundamental um, concept was posited by William James, right? So the father of modern psychology, he was basically saying that that the thoughts that occur to us in, and therefore the future that occurs to us, the timeline that we're on shifts when we change the state of the body and what we do with it, right? So if you act scared, right, where you think, think about like if, if I was playing the role in a movie, 
of the scared dude right now. Right. Like, what would I do behaviorally in terms of like the, the shifting of my eyes left to right and up and down and my my shoulders being uptight and my, you know, my hands and fists and my feet and foot fists. And I'm, I look agitated and I move fast and I talk fast. Right, right. Right. So what is that cause in terms of cognition, in terms of answers, solutions that I can see? Um, and, and, you know, how am I magnetizing my future? Is it going to be the best case or the worst case scenario? Right. Obviously I'm getting drawn, you know, with my thoughts inadvertently into the worst case scenarios. And if I choose James suggested to walk slower, to breathe slower, to relax the muscles, then the thoughts that occur are literally causing us to have access to a different timeline and access to a different version of you mm. there's always two pilots sitting in the left seat superimposed over each other sure. which one you become is based on how you act how you talk and and you kind of cheer yourself up into a better reality sure well it's almost the same mentality that you have a, a, a tandem instructor and a tandem student uh, uh, the tandem yes. instructor acts calm and acts collected and some of that rubs off on the student uh, whether it's it sure does yeah you know and well, so it's, it you, i'm a tandem master What's that's that? that's it rubs off on the tandem master. Too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been in the middle of malfunctions with a tandem where just my act of acting calm for the student calmed me down to deal with the situation. That's the that's the whole point. And, yeah. and it is amazing that we're capable of expanding comfort zone in those ways and sort of acting ways. And at the same time, as we start to calm down and we start to feel good, you know, on the rock, you know, where, cause I like to free solo. I don't, I don't go super high, but I do free solo. I admit it. Um, and, and I'll be in these places. I was in one, it was two days ago where I kind of went, ah, just for a second. I wasn't slipping, but I was, it was a moment. And I kind of went, I do this breath thing. It sounds a little different each time, depending on the context. Sure. And I stopped all motion, I stopped all cognition, and I relaxed my muscles, and I cleared my head, and it only took about four or five seconds. And I started to smile and giggle at myself again and feel good and forgive myself for being scared. All in one moment, I, I made that, that about face. And and I, to me, that uh, that's a, a version of enlightenment that uh, adventure sports people get. Sure. That, that Buddhist monks don't get hmm. as, a, as a training. Um, and, and it works both ways, you know, because sitting in med meditation has proven to get rid of the startle response. Sure. That's that's actually been proven. Uh, Richard Davidson did a, an extensive study with Tibetan Buddhist monks. Um, uh, he's a University of Wisconsin professor that studying fear and, and startle response and things like that. And he got a, uh, the Dalai Lama to send him a bunch of monks to stick in, in PET scan machines, you know, positron emissions tomography. And he found that through years of meditation, they literally dissolved their innate startle response. Wow. And so they were able to choose their response and not have it handed to them by evolution. Which is obviously something worth trying to attain for sure. Uh, I agree. And very difficult to attain without a doubt. We, I think we kind of just slam it into ourselves. We're the, the fast forward version of that. And uh, uh, I don't think there's the control involved. We're just uh, put back into an environment where we've kind of uh, Pavlov's dog trained ourselves. Uh, here's mm -hmm. where you start drooling <laughs> or here's right. where you, here's, you start breathing bigger. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. Heroic I, breathing, you know, that instead of instead of allowing ourselves to freak out. Well, and I remember, um, oh, I, don't, I, I wish I knew where I had read it, but uh, the general gist of it was um, they were trying to, uh, people were trying to say that uh, people like us that uh, enjoy extreme sports and can handle uh, what people consider to be really high-pressure situations just have a different chemistry uh, to us. And I always found that a bit... Uh, personally offensive in that mm-hmm. it's I, I never did think it was that I'm not getting hit with the same adrenaline or any of that. I'm just handling it in a different way. I agree with that. And it's a much more positive conclusion for me Yeah, that that gives me hope that everybody who is is a, a jittery sort of uh, person in certain contexts. Sure. Right. Maybe, maybe in another context, you're totally superhero brave in others. You're like, uh, and so you're you're into your trauma, your you know old stuff coming back or or whatever. Uh, I have to believe that we can train ourselves into having a a softer fear response. Absolutely, and then, and, and, and eventually, um, the heroic consciousness that comes in and that, that that's um, not just positive but constructive. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and a lot of the, the uh, fearful situations that uh, I've found myself in, in retrospect, looking back are huge learning experiences, uh, enormous learning experiences, because you see how you reacted in one way and it didn't go well. You see how you reacted in this situation and it did go well. And, you know, I've never been called the calmest person in the world. Uh, So when starting skydiving or something extreme like that uh, was starting out, uh, the fear level and the reactions were definitely up there. And of course, over the years, everything slows down, everything calms down. And what used to scare the shit out of me is now just a, okay, cope with it type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is the expansion of the comfort zone. Uh, the fear goes away because the light came in. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, it's not like you, you make darkness go away. You illuminate through, through understanding, through self-awareness of your physiological actions, right? You, the, the, the mirror, right. Sure. Looking in the mirror that, that, uh, expectation, um, that the things are going to go poorly starts to immediately shift into an expectation that things are going to go well when you act uh, a little bit cooler. That's that's a powerful skill. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's one that yeah. obviously takes a lot of time and, and uh, practice and <laughs> continuing. And yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Forgiveness of the times when you, you kind of lost it a little bit and, and hyper fixated sure. on one aspect of the situation and didn't expand your awareness to a larger scope to like, I mean, flying an airplane, perfect example, right? Mm. So, um, we're, we're taking off. I'm not going to say exactly which drop zone this was, but, mm. uh, I was the jump master, not the pilot and, you know, static line students were taken off and ah, about a thousand feet or something like that. Um, the engine goes, nothing. And, you know, the pilot is then, you know, playing with, the the key to trying to turn the airplane back on because that's how you make engines go right is you turn the key (laughs) and uh and and it wasn't working and he's fixated on this mind looping again and again well this is the answer there's no other answer this is the answer and i looked over it with you know i had a little bit more perspective because i was physically further from the panel than he was and mentally further from the conclusion that he had drawn that this is the only answer. Mm. And I looked down at the fuel selector and my student had pushed on it and it went to off. Oh, 
That would do so it. I, so I, I flipped the fuel selector to both, and the engine started up on its own because of the relative wind, and that was that. <laughs> we, we went and jumped, you know, so, but that, uh, you know, the, the pilot was stuck in this, this natural tendency to hyperfixate. Sure, sure. Well, and especially in a sport like skydiving, that can happen so ridiculously fast. I mean, how many oh, yeah. fatalities over the years from someone only going for one handle, uh, you know, yeah. never yeah. thinking anything outside. You just, just, or I, I got a kick out of these line twists. Yeah. 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 And all they, the way to the ground. All the way to Cyprus, or maybe if you're lucky, but sometimes the Cyprus doesn't do it. Sure. Right? Well, and both you and I have been jumping a long yeah. time now, long before uh, Cyprus was either much of a thing or it was still a fad, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. um, it's now obviously pretty much standard everywhere, but back in the day, it was all down to you. So now, yeah. speaking of, as, as, as you got into skydiving, <laughs> um, your reputation in skydiving has long been kind of the, the guru. You uh, People come to you for advice and inspiration and all this stuff, but you're kind of one of the originals, one of the OGs that were doing this, because back in the day it was um, maybe you got lucky and you had a mentor as a, a you know a really kick-ass instructor that, that helped bring you along. Yeah. But you're one of the first that I remember hearing about that wasn't just doing that at a local drop zone. You were traveling to teach people um, at the time really kind of revolutionary ideas on how to think about what we were doing uh, and mm. and get it kind of out of the box of just automatic and no start thinking about it. How did you, mm. you know, where did you transition in the sport to going, you know, something I've got a lot to offer that doesn't necessarily tie into the normal AFF program. Um, how did right. you decide it's time to start spreading the word? Well, I mean, I, I went, I made a transition from being a young, uh, quite young drop zone owner mm. in Vermont, um, you know, doing the standard stuff, you know, AFF and tandem, but I was doing it in a different way. Mm. Uh, I was, tra- I was training my tandems for two to four hours, you okay. know, in, in, in horizontal hanging harnesses, you know, that the Gregory trainer, sure. I would sit down and, and draw vectors on the board and I talk about navigation and patterns, um, and in that perspective alone, that number one, that skydivers are smart, you know, skydiving students are smart. And if you just take the time and you give them more information, they'll do better and they'll come back more. Sure. They'll be, they'll become skydivers because you treat them like skydivers and not like skydiving students. Mm. Um, so that was, that was pivotal in, in a shifting of perspective. And I was validated that my contemplative and compassionate approach was working better than the old tough military, you know, just cause I said it means you're now responsible for it. Right. Um, you know, uh, that old command style teaching, uh, I kind of was throwing it away and I was, I was proven mm. that that's, that I was right. Sure. And so that's when I had, um, uh, uh, I got into paragliding and I got, a, I had an accident. Okay. And this was the, sh- this was the shift for me. I had, a, I took a collapse and this is back in the days when the paragliders weren't very safe. Um, it's obviously still not perfectly safe, but, uh, it is far better than it was. Right. And I was all busted up and I was forced to really take a closer look at, um, the, the internal mechanisms of, of fear, uh, the internal mechanisms of visualization and that becoming a path to, to a specific reality. Hmm. Um, and so in the process of recovery, it deepened me, hmm. uh, I, I did more research into the into these psychology subjects and relevance uh, of, of uh, meditation, hmm. in particular, to this stuff. 
And so when I started getting back into the sport, I was down in Z Hills. I was, I got a job with Tony Urigalo. I came up with a new design for parachutes, this uh, one-way valve system called airlocks um, and, and a flying technique to reduce the risks in turbulence utilizing uh, roll axis to initiate turns using the harness uh, with a loosened chest strap. This was kind of a big deal and it was new oh, it was groundbreaking. Uh, to, to fly coordinated turns. Um, and, uh, and that's where it all started to kick in on a, a larger scale because of course, Tony and I were competing, you know, the X games and all that, yeah. and people knew our names, they knew our names. And so we would, um, we'd show up at a boogie or whatever and do some free fly coaching. And, and now then for, we, for, uh, the, for those we, that are listening that don't know your specific history, you're competing in the X games. What was the discipline? Ah, free flying. Okay. That was the game. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the, we had lots of folks that were doing the sky surfing and then we had people doing the free flying and a couple that doing a crossover doing mm -hmm. both. Olaf did. Yep. Um, he was one of the only ones actually. Yeah, we, I talked to him about it and we had a good giggle about him having his uh -huh. uh, board cutaway handle sticking out of the fly of his blue jeans. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's funny. I actually found my old sky surfing suit just recently, a goofy looking, you know, it was a sit suit back yep, in those days. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, the sport was, you know, sort of escalating in these new directions mm. um, and people wanted to know how to do it, you know, and, and even before that you had uh, Norman Kent that was shooting uh, Mike Michigan. He was shooting Deanna, you know, his wife, Deanna Kent um, doing crazy wild freestyle stuff that we were like, what's that all about? That's what, what, what really brought it in to the limelight it, to me. There was, mm. it was before games it was uh, roger nelson yeah you know freak flying that was that was the the big shift but but again these guys weren't traveling around teaching seminars as much as we were as far as i know um and so we were getting all these invites because of espn sure that they knew they knew our names and so i'd fly in and i'd say well let's talk about sit flying now sit flying is not that easy especially hmm. if all you've done is lay on your belly you know, Gus Wing always used to say, you know, belly flying's cool if it's all you can do. <laughs> <laughs> and and it does require us to collect our emotions and stop moving around, you know, sure. hold still. They always say still but not stiff. Um, in to so to bring in the idea of meditating before you leave the plane and holding that feeling as you're getting up and moving to the door and e exiting the plane smooth and happy and chill, um, call it contemplative skydiving, I mm. guess. Um, that's where it started to really blossom because nothing else was working when I was teaching the students. Like, you hold this body position. And they would spin so fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'd tumble and spin and go all over the place. And their eyes would be bloodshot and they would have their shoes falling off in the spins or whatever. Um, I had to, to pull in everything sure. that I could think of to, to do a better job of teaching. So I think if you were to really boil it down, my teaching method was sculpted by necessity. Uh, I became the kind of teacher that I am because nothing else worked as well. Sure. 
Well, it's funny too because the style with which you teach and kind of the the mantra, if, if I can use that word, uh, uh, the mentality of of especially free flying as it really started to kick off from that time frame, very much became about relax, loose, easy, very comfortable, um, yeah. and almost a almost a hippie mentality. You know, very much. Hell a, yeah. You know, and and for a long time, uh, especially free flying really echoed that uh, hippie mentality, not just in in the flying, but in the the vibe on the ground, the the yep. attitudes, the jumpsuits, the rigs, you know, everything just creative, right? Absolutely. Colorful, creative, acceptant of weirdness. Yeah, so we we were weird ones. Everybody else was wearing black jumpsuits with their big grippers and their astronaut helmets. Oh yeah, and they're they'd yell at each other in the landing area. Oh, you're supposed to dock here, and you went low. And we were we were there. We we were kind of in a no fail mentality. We'd go up, we'd fly around, we'd have fun. I saw you. you know? Oh yeah, no. Some of my favorite jumps. Some of my favorite jumps were complete clusterfucks. Absolutely nothing went like we planned, but it was so much fun. And I never yep. understood. Uh, I did the '98 Nationals, um, and I was. Uh, shooting video for sky surfing and the mm -hmm. juxtaposition between myself, my partner, uh, Craig and Tanya O'Brien, Omar was on board and then Arizona airspeed was in the back and it was, yeah. the plane was divided right down the middle, not just yeah. in discipline, but in mentality. And it was so, okay. you know, I'd never had it shoved in my face quite like that before. And I liked my side of the plane a lot better. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. And and I gotta remember, I, I'm also a four-way guy. Yeah. You know, I came from that background. Sure. You know, the called Team Vermont. It was Ole Thompson, Terry Mayer, who was his wife, and and uh, Bob Moore. And we were we were good, you know, we were serious about it. Jack Jeffries and Kirk Werner were coaching us, Sully Williams. Um and and we were on our way, you know, to to being that version of of, sure. a, of a great skydiver. Um, and that's when my accident happened. So that, that was the turning point for my career. So I was kind of forced into this other sure. uh, way of doing it because I, I just, at least for a while there, I couldn't do the four-way. Yeah. I just wasn't physically well, able. You know, and there were a few people from, from that side of the fence, so to speak, and I hate to separate it, um, but uh, a few guys, uh, somebody like Craig Girard is, is a huge uh, um, example of somebody that can flip back and forth between both. You know, I mean, yes. uh, never have I met such an easygoing person. And when he and I talked on the podcast, he's just very relaxed and loose about the entire sport. And uh, that just happened to be uh, what he was excelling at in the time. But he'll also go flick off uh, some building having a blast and, and and uh, uh, there, at least back then, there didn't seem to be that many people that were like that. So as uh, you and a few guys like you were coming out that way, it was a pretty novel approach to skydiving. It really was. Yeah, yeah we were the weird ones for sure. Uh, but the the uh, positive attitude is contagious. Oh, yeah. It just, it just tastes better. You know what I mean? It's just I understand that you... Uh, maybe have specific goals of wanting to, to be on big ways or win medals or turn more points. Great. That's awesome. Just don't lose the essential essence of what it is to be a skydiver. Sure. This is for fun. Oh, yeah. This is for, for connection with other people, for com that camaraderie. Um, and if you take it too seriously to the point where you're getting angry – you're not doing it right. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember listening to a four-way team getting an argument because something hadn't gone quite right, and one of them screamed something along the lines, let's just turn off our cypresses and fucking go in if we don't get the last point. Uh, yeah. What? That's... Uh, no, okay. Come on. <laughs> Other sports beckon, dude. You yeah. lost... 
you have lost the theme. Yeah, I get it. And so even then, uh, people can have these awakenings where they just say, "Enough! I don't have any, I don't have the energy anymore flowing into me to want to do this." Right. And either they drop out, or they have a refreshed perspective, uh, a new beginning, where they say, "You know, maybe I'll put on one of those, you know, stupid free fly suits, or maybe I'll put on one of those goofy dresses, you know, sure. wearing suits, and, and and try that, or or whatever." Um, dare to be a student, you know, dare oh, to, yeah. dare to suck, dare to suck again at something novel and, and, uh, sort of renew that spark. Well, that's the great thing, uh, about skydiving specifically. My, my, uh, um, way to cope with the burnout that I eventually hit as a full-time tandem instructor, uh, was to take about a four year break. Uh, and when I did start jumping again, I started jumping because a buddy of mine asked me to go on a load and the idea of it made me nervous again. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I got butterflies and, and, uh, yeah. so I became a born again, fun jumper that sucks at almost everything he tries lovingly. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm never going to be the Never going to be the greatest free flyer. I'm never going to be the greatest swooper. And I enjoy that fact because it gives me something to aspire to and something to learn. And then, of course, you watch the the kids in the damn wind tunnel now, and I can be outflown by an, a 13-year-old. Uh, so, yeah. you know, humble is just a, a normal word for me nowadays. Yeah, yeah. It's um, do we really need to be the best? You know, uh, the ego needs that. Right. The, sure. the, vul the vulnerable self that doesn't actually exist and it's an illusion that we create and it's, it's a cultural voice within us, but it's not real to me. Real is who we are in the present moment, our awareness, sure. um, in the, the joy of, of an exit gone, gone well, gone badly, whatever it is where you're, you're in this moment and that, that first one second or so, as you're going, you're so hyper aware of every little detail that's going on to me. That's, that's aliveness. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, and that's not my ego at all. Exactly. That. Well, and I hate to see it, but you watch people struggling to hit that number one position, which, uh, I mean, let's face it, most people are never going to be the best. Um, or if they are, it's such a fleeting moment to spend so much time suffering uh, without enjoyment to try and reach this one little goal that chances are is going to be pretty anticlimactic when it's done. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the people that I've seen enjoy being, uh, you know, upwards of the best are the ones that are also having just a shitload of fun. You know, that's right. one of the, again, one of the things that always drew me to skydiving uh, and uh, swoopers nowadays are a great uh, um, example of this is they're all rooting for each other. You know, yes. I mean, sure, they want to be on top of the podium, but you'll watch, mm -hmm. you know, the freestyle competitions and the guys that are in the competition are on the sidelines as fans. And that says yes. volumes. Yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, it was the same way in the X Games. You know, we Everybody was rooting for everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was one of the first times that I'd ever done that because like ski racing – you would watch everybody else ski and there's an aspect of, of your experience. You're like, wow, that guy's really good. That's really beautiful. And then there's this other voice that says, oh man, I hope he falls. Right. I hope he doesn't, I hope he doesn't beat me. <laughs> I hope he skids out on this turn and loses some speed. Um, and that's, that's the ego voice. But, but what if this was all of us together rooting for the ultimate performance? Oh, yeah. You know, um, well, like when I watch a football game where I don't care who, who wins, cause I don't have an interest in the teams. I root for the great play. Yes. You know, for the, the wonderful catch, the, the beautiful running play where he just, you know, dodges and flips over somebody and he keeps on going. I'm rooting almost for the ball. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So, um, and so what if we were to take that approach to skydiving and, uh, and still 
reach for high performance, reach for our best possible performance right now and everybody else's also to see great skydiving, to root for great skydiving. Uh, we don't have to give up our dreams of awesomeness um, as we dissolve our egos at all. Sure. We don't have to give up those dreams, uh, and that's what pushes the sport forward. All absolutely. Well, and and I always fall back to to the general public, the majority, the vast majority of the world that has nothing to do with skydiving. They think we're all badass nuts. You know, yeah. I mean, we're we're uh, the a very very small collective of people pushing to be the best of a very small group of people. When the rest of the world is all like, "Oh, you guys are already." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're all nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, and which, they don't make a distinction, do they? No. Between somebody who's a world champion and somebody who just you know jumps and sort of lands somewhere on the drop zone. Oh yeah. Uh, close enough, you know. The uh, that that perspective from from I don't know. I think it it might be helpful for us to see ourselves through the eyes of a woofo every once in a while. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, I don't know if you get this feeling. It, it's something. It, kicked in sometime this year where I was walking in from a jump and I don't even remember the contest context exactly. I was in Norway and um, looking at all the other people, I think it was an in-hop actually, right? So you jump into new places hmm. and I'm looking around in like all these skydivers with their parachutes over their shoulders and they're stowing their toggles and turning off their GoPros. And I just had these words in my mind come out real loud. We are so freaking cool. <laughs> And and I don't mean that in an ego way. No. I mean it in like goosebumps. Like, look where we are. Like, I'm sure that Armstrong walking on the moon was like, holy fuck. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Look where we are. And it's that appreciation, I think, that keeps us in the sport. It's not the medals. It's not the number of points. It's not the you know, the next benchmark or the next license. It's the the awareness in this moment that this is worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm sure you, most jump pilots that I know um, that are jumpers as well are the same. I, every phone that I've had that's been capable of taking pictures is full of pictures of me flying over a drop zone, whatever drop zone <laughs> it may be. I have now, you know, one of the new uh, iPhones and it's got 10,000 pictures and I guarantee 5,000 of those at least are pictures of from the air or on the ground of something going on in skydiving because yeah, look right. yeah you just have to go holy shit you know and and yeah. that that aspect has bled through so many different parts of my life i was lucky enough just to do a um a hiking tour through nepal and go up to base camp as well and the appreciation where by the way we're going to talk about this because i want to do that oh maybe it was... after the show we'll talk yeah about absolutely it. it was it was one of those things where because i've learned over so many years i was able to sit down where i was and go holy shit uh, yeah look around and really soak in where i was and what i was seeing and it's because i do that almost every day i mean and who gets to do that i don't know any bankers that take pictures of the counter they work at every day <laughs> this is this it's is epic. Yet they could if they if they wanted to see it from a, a, a different perspective where, sure. holy crap, I'm above ground. My heart is beating. There's all this blood going through my body, distributing, you know, the, the wealth of uh, the food that I've eaten and getting rid of the stuff that I don't want. And everything is still my eyes work. I can see stuff sure. just like you know, I'm capable of perceiving time uh, in uh, it. The just the act of being alive. Oh, yeah. Is, is a miracle and and maybe it takes people a near-death experience to get to that some maybe. yeah 
uh, I think for most most people that have had uh, a life altering epiphany that makes their uh, the goosebumps come up just in normal quote normal moments. We're like, oh my god, this is I'm alive. Here I am, and it's an opportunity to breathe in another breath of air. Um, maybe that's that's the answer that that adventure sports brings to us these moments of near-death experiences where we appreciate being alive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, sitting at home on a long, boring, rainy day when I've got nothing to do but sit on the couch and watch shitty Netflix and I'm not particularly <laughs> thrilled with the day, still at some point during that day I'll go, well, it gets a whole lot worse than this. Uh, <laughs> I get to look forward to more experiences and I'll just savor what I've got right now because I've had much worse days than this. And that's an appreciation that I would not have had if it sure. weren't for experiences like this. Sure. Yeah. Contrast. Yeah, absolutely. Contrast can help us to to appreciate moments that uh, that could could appear mundane that aren't. Sure. You, know? you can make a skydive where it's like, yeah, whatever. I'm just doing a solo. Uh, it's just a solo. Well, but what if this potentially, if you shifted your focus, was an educational solo where you tried something new that you've never done before and you learned something? Sure. What if in this in in this skydive you woke up in free fall? You really like were in this moment, wide awake, super consciousness, euphoric super consciousness right sure. now. What if that happened right now? What if this was the best jump of your life? Sure. Well, and it's so it's, it's, it's there's having... no, there's nothing in, there's no mundane. No, no, no. Mundane is a state of mind for sure. Absolutely. I mean, people can turn the most blasé things into something spectacular just by shifting their, their mentality about it. Yep. Now, now yep. you, you've pushed into so many different directions in the sport because you competed in free flying and, and you've been mm -hmm. a coach and an instructor forever, but you also started doing the design in regard to equipment as well. Sure. Now, how yeah, did well, that come about? It, well, I mean, that paragliding accident that I talked about, mm. you know, I, I I took a collapse, right? So I was, I became interested in parachute stability. Um, and, and that is really two directions, right? Because one is how to fly your parachute in a way that increases the stability, that mm. reduces the chances of, 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 uh, of losing control of the canopy, losing uh, shape of the canopy, that kind of thing. The other part was, well, what if we could keep the air inside the airfoil? Um, and, uh, and so that led to not only the airlock concept, but to, you know, taking the initial prototypes that I built down to Florida, to Tony Uragallo, saying, hey, man, what do you think? <laughs> he said, so, what he, he, yeah, I remember he, it was a small prototype, and he's spinning around in a circle. It, it was during the Thanksgiving party. At, he always threw a really good Thanksgiving party at his shop. And I showed it to him, and he went outside, and he's spinning around in a circle to inflate the airfoil, like around and around and around right. and around. And he's really interested, like, whoa, this is, this is, he says, do you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> and says, hell yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that's kind of where it started. I, he hired me and put me in the job of research and development. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, of course I had to learn how to build, you know, his canopies, his ways. And, and there was a lot involved in that. And that's where he was like, I want to introduce you to Marco, Marco Yakola hmm. from Finland, who's also uh, a pilot and a uh, skydiver, really wonderful man. I love that guy. Um, and he taught me all, you know, all these little details. And Sandy, who's now um, at Aerodyne, hmm. Sandy Kimball, also taught me a kind of crack in the whip, whip you know, unpick it, do it again. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, so I was the new kid, and then eventually uh, I became 
um, you know, the, the top person at the, at the shop and I was doing uh, all the hardest stuff and I was, you know, uh, designing from the ground up and we came up with the Jedi and the, you know, the, at that point it was, uh, Tony and I and Marco working together, hmm. um, to design. And I was having outside the box ideas because I hadn't been in the industry, that aspect of it as long. So I'd be like, well, why, why don't we try this then? And they'd be like, well, um, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, they just hadn't thought of it because I was the outsider. Sure. And I've always had that um, that angle on this stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but why not? Just because you haven't done it doesn't mean it's not possible. Sure. Well, um, now, it's and, funny because, so of course, now, do it. Looking, looking at skydiving now, the idea of a, a high-performance canopy that doesn't have the basically the airlocks – you wouldn't even think twice. Uh, of course it does. Absolutely. It's a pressurized canopy. Well, but back then, this well, was pretty fucking revolutionary. Well, the I mean, the closing off the, the leading edge of the center chamber um, on cross brace canopies, uh, it does it does create a, a, a form of, of air locking. Yeah. Um, but the full form of the airlock, I mean, you can tell, like, after an airlock canopy lands, it doesn't deflate at all for right. several seconds. Um, you can run and belly flop on it. It won't let you hit the ground. So there is a distinction there. Sure. So I, I don't want that to sound uh, like I'm I'm taking credit for <laughs> for every parachute out there. Right, right. Um, I mean, granted, there's aspects, you know, things that you know, the the drawstring slider or whatever that I came up with that um, that you do see in in everything, um, which is fun, you know, yeah. to see ideas that once were just a scribbling on a napkin. Sure. Quite, quite literally. Well, no, the, 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 if and I might be wrong on time frame, but airlocks came about before cross brace was a thing. Yes. Um, airlocks came out, um, actually after, after the cross brace design, but before the cross brace, uh, elliptical tricell where the nose was actually closed mm. in, in a significant portion of it. Um, so we had the Excalibur from PD, um, which was cross braced. It was a square or rectangle. Right? It wasn't elliptical at all, right. made of F-11, and the whole nose was open. And so they opened kind of hard. Hmm. Um, and even before that, you had uh, Daniel Esquivel uh, in, of Argentina uh, designed and built an accuracy canopy that had cross-braced tricell cells. Not all of them, but some of them were. I saw, I saw photographs of it. So he was the one that actually invented it as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, but the airlock was sort of an add-on. It's like you know, I I did cross brace tri cell airlock canopies. I did bi cell airlock canopies. I did you know standard tri cells. I did all kinds of you know versions of this stuff. Um, and and uh, it's not done. Hmm. I mean, like what what we can do with this, all the different versions of airlocks of, of seam sealing and, and deflation after landing tech. You know, there's there's all kinds of valve release systems that I've been testing that it's not done after sure. 25, if 25 years I've been designing canopies, I'm not even close to done. No, uh, well, and the, the materials are changing drastically now. The, I mean, yeah. it's no longer F one eleven. you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. so many different things. And maybe someday it'll be more than just regular ZP. Uh, but it's just a matter of keeping an open mind. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, to not feel complete is to feel open to new, better possibilities. Sure. And 
so, and it's scary, dangerous in the testing, but oh, it's God, yes. that's that's one of the the jobs I definitely would not want in regard to skydiving is test pilot. No thanks. Are you sure? Yeah. I could send you some prototypes. Yeah, you get okay. a buzz. No, you no, think you I... get a buzz in rock climbing? Yeah, no, fuck that man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something has never been jumped before. You're like, yeah. This could be interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the benefits to having scared myself enough is now that I'm 50 years old, I get to say, "All right, cool." Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, really, I understand. I don't need to prove it to myself anymore. Yeah, I turned 53 in May. Yep. Um, and I know the feeling. I yeah. know what you mean, because I I don't, you know, base jump naked anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there's things there's things where you sort of they kind of tone it down a little bit. Yep. Um, you know, I'm a dad as well. It changes. Uh, how I uh, think and act for sure, but um, I still have to keep pushing forward. Sure, because it's who I am. Well, it's who I am. And if I if I stop, then who am I being? Well, that's yeah. it. I mean, I think after as many years as as you and I and and uh, uh, some of the I guess they'd call them OGs in skydiving now have been doing mm-hmm. this is it's it's uh, so deeply ingrained. Uh, I you know I I like to say that I'm only as mature as I need to be. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, uh, d- depending on who you're talking to, that's either complimenting yourself or insulting yourself. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, I've been able to, you know, make a pretty good life out of being a, a big kid for the most part. I learned how to, I learned when to be responsible and I learned when I didn't have to be responsible and, right. and uh, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a fine skill to have. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I noticed that, you know, cause I live, you know, in sort of suburbia, you take the kids to school and I get to know all the other parents and they're very normal, you know, sure. and they think of, of me as Peter Pan, sure, you know, sort of annoyingly free. Um, and, and I noticed that often they replace their, they substitute their idea for adultishness, you know, responsibility. Mm. Um, and, and they're, they're actually shoving in there kind of sideways uh, being stuffy, you know, being yeah. uptight, being a no person instead of a yes person, Sure, you know? Um, and, and so most of the time like, Hey, you guys want to go climb a mountain? We're going to, we're going to go down the river, do some canyoneering or, you know, bring some kayaks or whatever. And almost none of them would be like, all right, come on, let's do it now. Right. They don't just jump on it. Well, like, oh, well you know, I gotta. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so many people have decided that the um, the true badge of being an adult is saying no to things that they uh-huh. undoubtedly must think are cool. Uh, you know, that sounds so cool, but I'm an adult now, so I can't. Exactly. Do that. For, yeah, like where where does the, the enshrining of self sacrifice come in? Where where were we taught that sacrifice is noble? Yeah. Well, you know. Especially for for people like yourself um, that are not only having lived this lifestyle as long as you have, but you, like I, have children. The um, the lesson I want my kid to, to pick up on is that you should love your life. You should enjoy it. And, and obviously, yeah. you want to uh, try and mitigate risks as much as possible, but not flee from risk just for the sake of, of Bingo. You know, this fake safety. You know, I mean... Mm-hmm. And I never understood um, how someone would deny themselves all these different things in life within reason just for the sake of what? Saving face or pretending to be an adult? That doesn't make any right. sense to me. Or you know, to have that story say, see, I had, you know, I did everything that I could to to be a good parent, you know, to, to be an adult, be responsible or whatever. Um, but if you're not serving your inner child, yeah. if you're. If you're not keeping that alive, 
Well, then what's keeping your cells alive? Yeah. You know what I mean? What's keeping you from aging? You talk about antioxidation, right? Aging is oxidation. Well, being joyful is an antioxidant. Absolutely. Being playful, dancing, having fun, that's an antioxidant. That's an anti-old fartness, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Um, and so I, I feel like if you, if you want to be a, a true health nut, you make happiness your number one goal. Sure. Uh, and, and even beyond happiness, authentic emotion how you actually feel you let that flow naturally right. and sometimes means you're pissed off right now it doesn't mean you're an angry person you're just appropriately pissed off about something that needs to change sure yeah no absolutely and it's unfortunate that uh, um the majority of people assume that uh, to allow yourself to behave in that way is to you know not be a responsible adult or not this uh you know it just uh, that kind of stuff never did make any sense to me i'm going to be miserable yeah. because it shows i'm an adult yeah. No. Well, you know, they, we do have some role models, you know, if you look back at the, the people that have been enshrined oh, yeah. uh, that, that, that gave it all up that, you know, they, they sacrificed uh, for others. And we say, well, that's what a good person does. Mm. Um, and, and yes, it's true that, that we, you know, being selfish is lame, but at the same time being selfless is lame too, because if you love everybody, you got to love yourself too. Sure. Absolutely. You're, you're included in that soup of humanity. And so therefore your inner child, your, uh, need to dance and play and have fun and go in, you know, on inspired journeys, um, that needs to be fed too. Oh yeah. No, no. I, it's uh, one of the running jokes is that my daughter who is 22 and in law school is, is a more mature adult than I am, which in a lot of ways is true. Uh, but it's this, it's this running fun joke because, uh, I kind of give her permission to go be goofy. You know, yes, you're doing these things and this is what you want, but you still get to act like a fool if that's what you feel the need to do and, and go have fun and enjoy life on top of the other things. I mean, all right. of life is not happy-go-lucky, and yes, you have responsibilities and shit you need to take care of, but who cares if somebody thinks you're a goofy idiot, you know, or, or you post goofy mm -hmm. pictures or my daughter going, oh, geez, there's my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, I'd be ashamed <laughs> if, if she wasn't saying that kind of stuff, you know? Right, yeah. It, it sounds like you're teaching her in the way that I interpret it as a good way, that you can be whatever you want to be. You can, you know, walk the path, the role of uh you know of a of a grown-up yeah and and do it in a way where that role is not who you are it's just what you're being sure. and you can step out of it you know i i i noticed um i was uh we had a school thing right we have uh it was called a, a stem night right okay. and so at the stem night um where i was helping out volunteering doing some some work at the those kind of music teaching about sine waves and things like that with the art teacher, the music guy and the art teacher. They're awesome people. Mm. And the principal was in there at the end. And she's like, come on, clear it out. I know you're having fun, but it's nine o'clock. It's all over. And she's, you know, playing her role, you know, come on, let's get going. <laughs> and then I watched the music teacher just take something and just knock it over on the ground and go, and stuck his tongue at her. And then, you know, and then they all had this little interaction that nobody else was supposed to see right. that they were goofing around in the context of their roles. They stepped above their roles and instantly I fell in love with all three of them. Sure. And I feel like that's the new reality that we're stepping into, that everybody can be in their role, but not possessed by it. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's a, a, 
a truly lofty goal to aspire to. And some people like them, it sounds like they've kind of got that nailed. They know, all right, this is the time and the place, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you said, knowing when to, you know, fly the aircraft, yep. knowing when to load up a spitball in the straw that you stored, turn around and whack somebody in the face with a spitball. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Theoretically, <laughs> you can do both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, one of my favorite tricks ever told to me was by uh, the guy that taught me to fly the Twin Otter was that one of the funnest things in the world to do on jump run while flying a obviously a, a very intense experience is to roll the window down and throw marshmallows at the people uh, getting ready to exit the airplane. I like that. It's a wonderful thing. It's And it's so fun when you finally got into that level. Of course, it's nice. But uh, you can do both. And all right, I know how to be very responsible and do all the things that I need to do. But I can also chuck these marshmallows at you while you're jumping out of the airplane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just it, that can that playfulness can be taken too far. Sure. Obviously, you know, where they're doing pop ups on takeoff so much that they lose airspeed below a thousand feet. You know, yeah, that's. That's not fun. That's dangerous. Yes. It might feel fun. I mean, so, so knowing where is that line between safety and playfulness, um, you know, not too loose, not too tight. Yep. That's what Buddha said. Yep, yep. Well, and that's in every aspect, whether it's flying or jumping or climbing or anything like that, for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, moving now, forward uh, professionally, uh, especially when it comes to jumping, what comes next for Mr. Germain? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I love teaching canopy courses. So that's, that will continue to be in my future. Well, this has uh, been what, 15, 20 years you've been doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it gets better all the time. You know, I, just the, the way that I teach it gets a little bit uh, more evolved and the way the exercises that I have them do and I fly with them, I got radios and I can talk to them when we, awesome. uh, we do two, two ways and things like that. Uh, and of course, you know, filming landings and that keeps evolving every year. Um, in doing instructor courses, things like that. That's huge. Sure. Uh, I, th I think that's how the world gets changed is teaching people how to teach better. And, and a lot of them are doing great. They just haven't thought of all the possibilities. Right. And you get an old fart like me that says, oh, had, have you thought of this? <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, the extra mile, baby. Yep. I, the If you suffer, as I do, from a high level of give a shit, <laughs> Then you go the extra mile and you're constantly creatively thinking, well, what else could I do right. to help this person who might get hurt if I don't intervene? Sure. Because because they were undertaught or because they didn't get it because the teacher didn't explain it in a way that that individual got it you sure. know, where they understood it. That breakthrough moment didn't happen yet, which means that they're in this this mental place of not knowing what they're doing. And they could be on a collision course with a future that sucks. Sure. Sure. Um, and so. I will continue to do that and make more videos. And, and um, I do, you know, people will see the YouTube videos, of course, that's all free, but I, I worked very hard to create um, paid content sure. where I, I dug deeper into it and there's, you know, PowerPoint and uh, you know, kind of uh, including landings and flights and stuff that I, that I've recorded, but I wanted to be able to reach out with the, a lot of the information that I do in the in-person courses uh, to places that I'll never go to, mm. or, or I'll only go to, you know, once every few years, they can download the information, which is awesome. Um, so I'm going to keep doing that. And so if anybody has ideas for what else I can add, whether it's a little YouTube video, which, you know, you know, I wish you would tell these damn kids to stop <sighs> screwing with their GoPros. Right. 
and you know and fly the skydive or you know tell the kids to leave more space between the groups or whatever and explain why these are these are important questions that need to come back in and i got to answer them um but you know obviously the more uh involved content um there are topics that i haven't thought of yet and i rely on the skydiving public to say hey you know how about this sure you know how now, uh... how how do you jump naked in the winter? You know that, <laughs> right? Right. Now, how do people find this content? What's the YouTube channel? Uh, well, the, the YouTube channel is under my name, and um, and you can also go to the Adventure Wisdom. That's the uh, the content that's longer and in depth and, and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's um, and the other thing that I started doing, um, be, partly because uh, the travel is exhausting, hmm. is uh, is web teaching. So I do, I'll do one-on-one, you know, like power session. And I, and I think of this like, uh, like getting, like hiring a limo, you know, it's just going to be just you. Sure. It's private. What happens, what happens in the limo stays in the limo. And then you have more like super shuttle where you can do <laughs> a, a one month Tuesday. It's Tuesday's uh, evening uh, where people sign on and there's, you know, three or four people. Uh, some of them have, you know, 10 jumps. Some of them have hundreds of jumps. Some of them have two jumps hmm. and they're looking for the courage and the understanding that supports the courage sure. uh, to get, to get up in the air. You know, people, they, they, they get hurt on an AFF level one. Sure. It happens all the time. So I'm, I'm out there trying to give them the information that's going to make them feel confident enough to go and get, you know, get back in that plane and better awesome. yet get out, get out of it when the time comes. For sure. Uh, and so, that's neat. Oh, you can be, I mean, I've got people all over the world that sign on to these live sessions. So I, which I, is I, awesome. So like now I'm, I mean, in, in uh, two hours, I'm doing one with uh, somebody in Dubai. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, now let me ask. So, um, I'm, I'm a, a brand new student or I've got 20 jumps. I'm listening to this podcast and I want to be able to tune in. I want to be able to find out how to get a hold of you, or I want to know where your next in-person course is. Cause I don't like the internet shit and I don't learn anything from a screen. Uh, how do sure. they find sure. out how to hook up both online and in person with you? Well, adventurewisdom.com is my primary website. Um, and Brian at adventure wisdom dot com is my email um so you know I, I i'm pretty responsive i feel bad every once in a while things get missed and i get busy because you know, i'm still building canopies i'm still you know doing relines and sure. making new videos and doing dishes and chasing kids around you know piano <laughs> practice right right <laughs> got to get them to the wind tunnel and all that stuff um i wish i wish i could afford to do more but sure um, the uh you know i'm accessible you know, and sometimes people just send me a quick little question, you know, sure. and I'll, I'll answer it in text right away. But most of the questions that people have are much more elaborate sure. and, and I need to, to give the full answer. Otherwise, you know, I'm kind of sucking at my job. So um, the best thing that I can offer is to fly into your drop zone and be there with you. You sure. know what I mean? And, and, and hang out and, you know, make eye contact and shake hands and show you packing tricks you know, show you in land, I jump too, right? So, you know, I'll land the way that I want you to land. And, right. and uh, you know, I don't always jump a super swoop canopy because I want to teach you how to fly a parachute similar to, you know, what you got. Sure. So I jump, you know, I'll jump a 150 or a 136 or something uh, without a wild hook turn, despite the fact that I really want to. Of course. Um, <laughs> uh, 
so you know, that's the best way you know even if you're a new jumper you just talk to the drop zone owner and say hey listen we want to bring bring brian in and a lot of times they'll say well we we got another course with this other company or this sure. other individual that's fine that's fine just schedule my course you know a month or more apart from when their course is going to be there so we're not stealing each other's fire um let's keep throwing you know instructors at the problem yeah because my my way of teaching is my way you know and then you get other other teachers that have wonderful wisdom deeply valuable information learn from them too sure well i'm i'm sure you just like me have had students that you instantly connected with and students mm -hmm. that uh despite your best efforts uh there just wasn't that connection i didn't have a way of putting it that could you know fit into their understanding but the yeah. instructor that i work with on a daily basis could uh and it's uh pulling some of that ego out of it as well because there's a fair amount of ego involved in being a good instructor uh and oh, yeah. it's a testament to a good uh, instructor and teacher when you can go you know maybe i don't have the answer uh, he's going to yeah. give you similar information but maybe in a way that you'll understand which is is sure. important it's very absolutely important. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's important to also adapt and, and sort of uh, become more open minded in our learning styles, sure. just as we do with our teaching styles, sure. um, so that we can reach out in both directions into that synapse, you know, uh, in between the, the two neurons, sure. you know, me and you. Uh, and so I try to look into the eyes of the student and figure out, oh, now, okay, this guy needs this, you know, yep. that person needs that, you know, this is a uh, the the learning model uh, for each individual is going to be quite different. And at the same time, you go, all right, well, but Brian's a little casual compared to some of the other more regimented courses. And maybe for me, based on, on the way that I'm used to learning, it's a little annoying that mm -hmm. I never know what Brian's going to do next. We, I don't know. There's no schedule. Right. You know, when are we going to go back to the classroom and when are we going to done packing? Well, try to hold off on your annoyance and just accept the fact that there's going to be tidbits of information throughout this day that are going to be gold sure. for me. Absolutely. Uh, likewise, if you're loosey goosey and up, you know, and, and the uptight instructors or the tough instructors annoy you, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Make sure that you learn from them too, because they're going to every one of them, sure. the, the great the great teachers out there, are going to say something where your eyebrows will come up. And you'll tilt your head to the side like a dog who hears their name, and you'll go, oh. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, that's awesome. Indeed. That's awesome. Well, and those light bulb <laughs> moments uh, happen a lot more often than people think as long as you're open to them, uh, which is the big thing. You know, you got to be open to that's that learning, it. which yeah. also falls back to something you said at the beginning of the podcast, which is embrace going out and doing something you suck at because – uh, to mm -hmm. learn something new and to suck at something means to open yourself up to how that learning happens, in which case when you're teaching, you go, oh, yeah, but when I was learning this, 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 and this is what was snagging me, and you can pass that on, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So yeah. I always wrap up things by asking um, – you got two different groups of people. You got people that are just getting into the sport and you got someone that's not really sure they're going to hang on anymore. What advice do you have to those groups of people, to the people just coming up and those people that are wondering if they should stick around? Mm, yeah. Well, I, I think the advice would be in some ways the same for both in that if you can really connect with what you love about this, I mean, I understand there's stuff about it that you don't, 
like, you know, maybe you've been in the sport for too long and you're kind of burned out or too many tandems or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, these are all very common traps. You can notice those things and not fixate on them. Right. And likewise, you can notice the positive aspects and not fixate on them, them too, if you choose. So I urge people to, to spend more time talking about and almost bragging about how much you love uh, your, your sport and your role in it. Mm. You know, those are two aspects of the same thing that, sure. that are uh, important, right? Who are you being? when you're on the drop zone. Hmm. What, what, what do you love about that? What do you love about the experience, the specific experience of gearing up, of getting in the plane or whatever? And I understand you're going to be like, well, I hate rushing. I hate that part. No, no, no. We're not talking about that right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> what you're trying to nurture is your connection to what you love about it, uh, the connection to the, the sensation of freedom, hmm. of the freedom for creativity. You had this, the sky is so big and how much you, you love just – Having the ability to just, woo, you know, right. I'm just going to track over to that cloud. I'm just going to, you know, pull high on this particular jump and play around for 20 minutes under canopy. Um, the, uh, those, that list, those items are going to be what gets you through the harder times. Sure. The, your connection to those things will, will help you to get up from, uh, sitting in the field next to somebody who's busted, mm. waiting waiting for the helo to arrive to, to medevac them out. Mm. You know, when you're, you know, you got your hand on them and you're trying to soothe them, maybe somebody's holding a parachute up in the air to keep the sun off of the injured jumper. And you're like, man, sure. What, why the fuck do I do this? Why do I expose myself to, to something that's going to cause me and other people so much pain? What's the point? Well, that's the, that's why you do the homework to remind yourself of why, why you do Right. Because you're going to die anyway. Sure. You know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get sick. You, you know, all kinds of relationships are going to come. They're going to go. But there is a relationship to your higher self that I want to remind people to sort of draw your attention back into that and how skydiving has the potential to reconnect you with your your own higher self. Mm. And yeah, very much so. That's freaking awesome. Oh yeah, well, and it's it's especially in in a very pessimistic world that we live in, which seems to be getting more so every day. Having the ability to to draw on something like that is amazing. Um, mm. You know, I, I I I can't tell you how many times I feel nothing but lucky seeing friends all around the world that aren't involved in the sport uh, that uh, are so down and so upset all the time, and my general. Um, mentality is holy shit i still get to do this stuff and i mean don't get me wrong i still look at all the negative stuff that's going around and go this really sucks but my my um default is amazement you know and that's 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 because of skydiving yeah yeah and and the the mentality of the adventurer oh yeah that, that that is the priority and not keeping up on the news or whatever that stuff that just it's always in the background it's always there uh, and it doesn't mean we have to bury our heads in the sand, but it also doesn't mean we have to, to fixate so much right. on the, the aspects that need to be changed. I don't think of it as negative. It's just the aspects that need to be changed. Um, it, it, we have to be 
I mean, somebody's got to be the happy fuckers. You know what <laughs> Might I mean? Might as well be us. Somebody, somebody has to be the, the happy-go-lucky people <laughs> that are like, what's up with that guy? Every time I see him, he's like smiling. He makes eye contact. You know, I see him at the store or whatever. What's his deal? Yeah. You know, why, why isn't he a miserable bastard like the rest of us? Um, in, in the way that, uh, you know, Richard Bach wrote you know, of, uh, in the book illusions, you know, there was the, this river with these creatures living on the bottom of the river in their entire lives. They just held on to the bottom of the river with their legs just sort of dangling. And that was their existence, you know, or is to be lowly and hang on in the river is this, this energy that we just, you know, fight against. And this one little dude is like, I, I, I think that if I let go, I'm going to float up and I'm going to be able to fly. I'm going to be free. And all the other creatures are like, dude, you're gonna die, man. <laughs> you can do that. You're gonna get tumbled and smashed at the rocks, and you're gonna you're gonna be freaking chum. And he says, I can't take anymore. I can't do this anymore. And he finally let go. And sure enough, for the for the creatures around him, there the, all they could see was him tumbling downstream. Like, see, told you, freaking idiot. Well, to the creatures downstream, though, he rose up above. And he's swimming around and he's free. And they're like, look at him, a messiah come to save us all. He can fly. He's free. And he's like, no, dude, all you got to do is let go, man. Yep. Yep. That's damn good advice, too. Damn good advice. Yep. Unfortunately, it's yep. advice that a lot of people aren't going to take. Oh. Well, they need to read a little bit of Richard Bach, right? Yeah, We've for sure. Things. Same and, guy that wrote that. Well, it's nice to know that that mentality is out there and it's so prevalent in the sport. You know, I mean, one of the favorite things that I ever had people back when I was still jumping full time, um, my favorite reaction to UFOs um, when they found out that I jumped for a living was, you can make a living doing that? Because clearly yeah. that's just something people do for fun, you know, and, and uh, yeah. holy shit, you do this for fun and excitement and you figured out how to pay your bills with it. And I always thought that was just the greatest damn thing, you know. Yeah. So yeah. now- um, and, and Go, yeah, please go ahead. The, go ahead. The fear suppression is very helpful for that too, because <laughs> when you live this life, you have to get really good at not freaking out about the fact that there's a bill coming and you don't know where the money's coming from. Yeah, that's where the anxiety comes from. It's not the skydiving well, or any of that. Potentially, right? Yeah. Yep, yep. But, but you go, I know how to make money. I just have to take steps in that direction and the universe will meet me halfway. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and of course the benefit to skydiving for, for those listening that are, are aiming towards a career in skydiving, once you hit a certain level in, in jumping uh, and you're diverse enough in the sport, you've pretty much got a job as long as there is a sport somewhere in the world, there's a job for you. You might be living in a tent in the back absolutely. of the drop zone, but you're paying bills and you're, you're putting food in your stomach. Mm -hmm. So um, yep. there, there is a means to an end in this sport uh, as long as you don't care about the family fancy cars and all that. And you could still get those as well. Um, it just, uh, that never seems to be a big draw for, for people <laughs> in Scotland yeah. anyway. Yeah. It's, it just becomes less interesting because you prioritize oh, yeah. things, things that are spiritually meaningful, you yes. know, things that really enliven your life in, in, in a way that actually does something in your soul yep. that yep. it does shift you out of, out of darkness into light or whatever you want to call that. Well, it's always funny yeah. when you see the the Facebook posts that come up saying, uh, you know, you don't get anything from material this and material that, and people that are chasing after these don't. And my uh, first thought whenever I see posts like that is, well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's very true. And of course, you know, zero P material though. Right. You know, I'm, I'm a materialist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The question is, what does that material give you in terms of experiences? And, and so that, that, Reminds me of something Bob Moore, my old teammate, always used to say, get attached to experiences in that object. Yes. So it's about the, the attachment, yeah. the uh, 
And the experiences, uh, yes, do require certain objects. My climbing shoes, right, are definitely offer me a lot of freedom. My headlamp offered, offers me a lot of freedom, but it's not that specific headlamp. Is It's a headlamp sure. in general. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Well, and it is. It's the experiences that should drive people and, and uh, hopefully more and more people keep coming around to something like that, you know. Yep. So once yep. again, Have, what's uh, what's the website that they're going to to find you? Adventurewisdom.com is the, the primary one. There's also my older website, uh, Big Air Sports, sports with a Z.com. That's still up. There's a lot of articles that are only on that website. Um, and that one's, it's I mean, older, you know, non-adaptive uh, uh, web format. But it, sure. it's, it's a lot of good stuff there. And, of course, that. Uh, that's the one that uh, is dedicated to the parachutes. Cool. Uh, and, and then, of course, there's the YouTube channel uh, under Brian Germain that's got a lot of the free stuff as well as links to paid stuff, yes? Three, yeah, 300 and some odd videos. I oh, can't shit. remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I take, I've taken a lot of them down. Been a busy man. Yeah. So, the well, yeah, I'm just old. Yeah, <laughs> just I've been doing it a long time. That's all it is. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, there's... There's a lot of good stuff in there that's going to help you. Just like, you know, how do I change the altitude that my Cypress activates? Right. There's a little video in there showing you how to do that. Just trying to make uh, the lives of skydivers better in the ways that I can when I have the time. Just make another video. Awesome, man. Well, you've been doing it for a very, very long time, and I know how busy you are, so I can't tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you you sat down to talk with me for a little while, and and hopefully the videos keep coming as well as the, the new canopies and all the innovation. Absolutely, absolutely. And just I, I do rely on people for ideas. So, you know, if you uh, have a thought or a question or something, send it in. Awesome. I'll do it. Awesome. Well, thank you again right, so I'll... much for taking the time, man. Blue skies. Yeah, and yeah, yeah all right. Happy landings. <laughs> Take care. And there you have it, another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. Once again, I am the fucking pilot, and this is brought to you in association with, come on, say it with me, the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's right, Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com. You can get previously published issues, all kinds of cool swag. You can send your photos, your articles, all that stuff there. Uh, also, any advertising opportunities, you're going to want to hit them up, blueskiesmag.com. For me, I am the fucking pilot. Fuckingpilot.net is where you're going to head to get uh, links to this podcast as well as both the books that I've written. That's right, Blue Skies Mag is the fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper, uh, both in print and digital form. Once again, Lunatic Fringe into the void. Thanks for joining. <laughs>